Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the end of Galatians chapter 3. And at the end of Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul presented two very important fundamental ideas. The first idea is with regards to a tutor or a teacher or a schoolmaster and their student or a child. That's the first idea that I wanted to address is the idea of a teacher and a student. And the idea is that the student or the child would be under the tutor or the schoolmaster only for a period of time, that this would not be a permanent relationship. It was a relationship based on the teacher teaching fundamental things to the child And then the child or the student would then take those things that they learned and apply those things in their daily life. And, of course, I explained that there is a difference between learning about the law in the sense that the law is going to teach you how to live. That's how many people approach the law. I believe that the way that we are to approach the law is to understand that the law teaches us that we cannot live that way that it is impossible to live that way. So we must engage our life. We must live our lives with that recognition, with an acknowledgement that we cannot live that way. We therefore have no hope outside of his grace and mercy. We need to have his forgiveness, and we need a completely new and different covenant because there's no way that we can function under the old one that defines the law. Now, the second idea is with regards to a child or a son and their inheritance, that as a child of God, you have an inheritance in Christ Jesus. These were the two issues that the Apostle Paul brought up at the end of Galatians chapter 3. And in today's program, I'm going to continue. I'm going to proceed into Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, what Paul does is he brings these two ideas together. He brings the two concepts of a child and their inheritance and a child and their teacher or a tutor and their student. He brings those two fundamental concepts together in order to explain that we are totally different, that we live in a completely different way, in a different way than how we would have lived before. Beginning in Galatians chapter 4, Verse 1, it says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all. He explains that when a person has a child and they are a master of some kind, a lord of some kind, when they have possessions, when they have ownership over land or over a business, they may have a child, but the child does not have the authority that the master or their parent has. So they are no different than a slave until they are given that authority. And the idea is, of course, the intent is, or the expectation is, that the child is going to be trained, that they are going to be raised in such a way that they will be prepared to assume that responsibility. Now, 
I understand that this is a very foreign concept to our world today. In our world today, it's very unusual to find anyone who has children who relates to their children in that way. Most people relate to their children in a very different way. They teach their children how to be the servant of somebody else or how to be the employee of somebody else, how to go out into the world and find somebody else who will give them work to do. It's very unusual to find someone who trains their child to take over the work that their parent is doing, to take over a business that their parent has built. It's very unusual to find a parent who actually prepares their child to be responsible with the inheritance that the child is expected to receive. Now, in many cases, people have no inheritance to give their children, and so there's no application for this. In many cases, people have no business that they can pass on to their children. And the expectation of passing these things on to their children, of course, is not to give them the means of consumption. The idea is that their children will then take the work that their parents had done and they will add to it. They will increase the family fortune. If they live their lives and pass away, leaving an inheritance to their children and the inheritance that they leave to their children is not greater than the inheritance that they received, then in these families that do live this way, they would look at that as being a disgrace, that the child disgraced his parents and his grandparents and his forefathers. Everyone who provided those resources to that person, that person just consumed those resources, consumed more than what they produced, and that is considered to be disgraceful in those families that do function this way. But again, today, it is extremely unusual to find anyone who functions that way. I have to mention that because if you read Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss what he's talking about. Again, in verse 1, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. You see, if a person does not relate to their children this way, then what often happens is that they don't prepare their children to be an adult. They don't teach them to be a servant, to be a slave, to be someone who works for somebody else or who follows directions or instructions from somebody else. They don't learn that. Now, of course, when you have a business, you still have to follow directions. You have to serve other people. It's just that you have a customer base who is considered to be your master in many ways. When you are an employee, you only have one person who you are accountable to. But when you are a business owner, all of your customers are the people who you are accountable to. So in most cases, people do not prepare their children to take over the work that they are doing, and they also sometimes fail to equip them to be able to be a servant of somebody else. They're not a slave in the household. They're just sort of a person who's just there, who you're just trying to keep under control until they come of age and then they can leave. Children are often looked at as individuals who parents are just trying to survive until the children leave. That is the way many families operate, many families function. And so when you read a verse like this, it's very easy to miss these things. Continuing on into verse 2, though, in verse 2 it says, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. The father does not necessarily teach the children everything that they need to know because the father has to engage in the business enterprises to take care of the children. Continuing in verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. At this time, he starts making a comparison. 
just as a child who is being prepared to be an adult is under bondage, so also we who are being prepared for something are in bondage. And who would that be? That's everyone. Our God has structured things in such a way that if you are born into this world, you are born into a form of bondage. What is this bondage? This bondage is sin. It is the bondage of being in the world, living according to the knowledge of good and evil. It is the bondage of being in this world spiritually dead without your God. That is the type of bondage that he's referring to in verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So at an appointed time in the history of humanity, the father sent his son, referring to the Lord Jesus, who came to redeem everyone, that was accomplished through the crucifixion, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. It does not mean that we will, it means that we might. Now, he uses the word adoption here, which means that everyone who is born into this world is born as an individual who is not a child of God. To be adopted means that you are not a child at one point, and then you are at another point. And then according to the law, if you are adopted, then your parents can never disown you or disinherit you, not allow you to have your inheritance rights. That is according to the law that God gave. So it's important to recognize verse 5, where Jesus redeems those who are under the law. Now, who are those who are under the law? Well, you could look at this as the nation of Israel. You could look at it from that point of view. The nation of Israel was defined, it was established by the law, and those who were of Israel, at this time mainly the tribe of Judah, the Jews, those Jews were recognized as people who needed to be redeemed, and the Messiah redeemed them through his crucifixion, so that they might receive the adoption, but unfortunately, the vast majority of them refused to receive that adoption, refused to receive the gospel. But what about the Gentiles? Were they under the law? Well, technically, yes. Even though they were not under the law of Moses, they were still under the law in the sense that they were still accountable. They were still responsible for their lives that would be defined by their knowledge of what is good and evil, either theirs or God's, whatever it would be, God can use any law in order to condemn anyone, in order to show that everyone has a need for the mercy of God. So just because the Jews were under the law doesn't mean that the Gentiles were not under the law. However, they were definitely not under the law that was given specifically to Israel. They were under the law in the abstract sense that God would still hold them accountable. He would still hold them responsible for their sin. Even though they did not have the Mosaic law to define that sin, they could determine what was good and evil by the things of the world, by their conscience. Paul explained this very well in his letter to the Romans. I did a verse-by-verse study 
on the book of Romans. You can find more information if you were to take a look at those passages that refer specifically to the Gentiles living by a law and that the Gentiles could be justified by the law that they were living by, but of course they would never live by it, and so they needed mercy just as the Jews needed mercy. That's the point. Okay, so again, beginning in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, he's referring to the Galatians who believe in the Lord Jesus, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But of course, this depends on a person believing the gospel, recognizing their need for redemption, accepting the redemption that God provided, recognizing their need to be resurrected, their need to be made spiritually alive and receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit that would resurrect, that will resurrect us personally and individually through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And when he dwells within you, when he resurrects you, when he makes you alive, he makes you into a new person, a new creation. And this person is recognized as a son as a child, and his spirit within us will confirm to our being that we are children of God. We will cry out to him from the depths of our being, Abba, which is a word that means daddy, father. Now, there are many people who try to simulate this by going around talking about their God as though he is daddy. They talk about him as Abba. They use those words as if the words coming out of their mouth is going to be a replacement for what should be in their heart, but really isn't there. So you have to understand that this will be real if it's real. And if it's not real, you can pretend And you might be able to fool those around you who are pretending also. But for those of us who really have been resurrected from the dead and know him, not only as our God or as our father, but as our daddy, we can generally tell the difference between an individual who's just trying to say that he is their father, their daddy, but in reality, he either is not or he is, and yet they are not truly embracing him for who he is which is the most common experience that I find people are having. They really are a child of God. The Spirit does dwell within them, but because of all of the things that they believe that are not true, they cannot relate to him as their father. They have to relate to him as if he is the person who is disgusted with them, who is trying to find some way to incentivize them to get their flesh under control, either through the beatings or the blessings, through something, in order to get them to be a different person than who they are, without the transforming act of the living God working within and through them. Now, of course, this transformation is something that I believe our God wants to do within all of his people who have been adopted. But again, until a person believes the truth concerning the law and its purpose, the grace and mercy of God, until they recognize the new covenant for what it is, until they see that they are to live by faith, there is no opportunity 
for the living God to do a transformation within a person's heart to that extent. That is the issue. Now, I mentioned with regards to the inheritance that you have to make a choice between the inheritance that is defined in the law and the inheritance that is defined in the new covenant. The inheritance of the law has to do with the land of Israel. The inheritance, according to the new covenant, has to do with the Holy Spirit, the restoration of the spirit of life. And I talk about this in the sense that you cannot have both. You cannot live in both. Now, in a practical way, there is a possibility, and that is that if you are a Jew living in the land of Israel, you can have certain rights. I understand that. You're not going to experience those in the way that the law declared, though. That's something that has been lost and probably will never be recovered. It is different now. We can get kind of close to it, but we're still not going to get quite to the same level. But even if you do, it's still an issue that you must recognize that even though you might very well have an inheritance in the land, it still is no replacement for the inheritance that you have in the Spirit. And in order to be a new creation in such a way that there is no Jew and there is no Gentile, as Paul explained in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, in order to experience that, to live in that, you must recognize the distinction between the two forms of inheritance. Now, one of the things that makes this very challenging for people to consider, one of the things that makes it very difficult is that we know that God gave the law. We know that he gave the Old Covenant, and we know that he gave the New. And the bottom line is, is that for the most part, people are trying to find a way to keep both. You know, he gave us the law, let's try to find some way to keep it, some way to hang on to it. People really want to hang on to something that God gave. And when I express it that way, I think it can be understandable. I think I can understand why people would want to do that, because it is something that God presented. And so if you are struggling with that, let me try to describe this separation that you need to make with a law in a different way. I'm going to try to talk about this from the point of view of Adam and Eve and God in the Garden of Eden. Try to consider that to be the issue at hand. The issue in the Garden of Eden, of course, was that Adam and Eve were told that they could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the one tree that God wanted to reserve for himself. In that way, he told them that he did not want them to live according to the knowledge of good and evil. He did not want them to function that way to have their lives guided by the knowledge of good and evil, by what's right, by what's wrong. He wanted them to live differently, to live enjoying all that he had done for them, all that he had given to them, to live on the basis of having a personal interactive experience with their God, to be participants in the creation that he made through the continual creation of life and through the care of life, things like that. Our God established a relationship with Adam and Eve, and they rejected him. You've got to understand that when they decided to eat from the wrong tree, when they decided to live their lives according to the knowledge of good and evil, they rejected God. They rejected him as a person. They rejected him in favor of information. They rejected him in favor of a way of life. They rejected him in favor of this knowledge that they believed that they could live by 
so that they could live independently of him. Do you understand that? That that is what happened. It was a total, absolute rejection of God in favor of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God made his contribution to this effort of humanity to try to live according to the knowledge of good and evil. And that is what the Mosaic Law is. The Mosaic Law, the law that God gave, is his contribution to mankind's effort to try to live according to the knowledge of good and evil by giving them a list of all of the laws that define what is good and what is evil. He gave that to people who had already rejected him as a person, as an individual. Remember Mount Sinai. Remember that. Remember when he came down personally to present the first Ten Commandments? That's as far as he could get. The people didn't want to hear any more. They rejected him. They said, listen, you go outside of the camp and talk to Moses. Moses can come back inside of the camp. He can come within our community. We'll listen to him, but we're not going to listen to you. The people rejected God, and he still gave them the knowledge of good and evil. He gave that to them for several purposes. And I've explained in the past many times some of these purposes in order to show us that we have a need for his mercy, in order to provide the prophetic references that we can refer to, in order to identify how the Messiah would come, in order to provide foreshadowings to explain spiritual truths that are now revealed through the new covenant in light of his forgiveness. There is a lot to be said about the law and the uses of it. But to use it as our way of life is not one of them. It just isn't one of them. Yes, it is true that you will have to reject the law as your way of life. That's the bottom line. You will have to reject the law. You will have to turn away from the law. You will have to turn away from a life of living according to the knowledge of good and evil. You will have to do that because if you do not, then you will never be able to embrace the love of God because you will always believe that God holds your sins against you because he does, according to the law. You must reject the law. You must turn away from the law in the sense that you must no longer use the law for that purpose in your life. You can use it for all the purposes that he gave it for, But stop using the law for a purpose that he did not give it for. He did not give the law so that we would know who he is. He did not give the law so that we could be transformed in the inside, so that we could be turned into a new creation, so that we could be a child of God. He did not give the law for any of these reasons. For any of these reasons. So do not be afraid of turning away from it. Just, listen to me, just as Adam and Eve turned away from God in order to turn to the law, the knowledge of good and evil, so you must also turn away from the knowledge of good and evil, which is defined in the law, in order to turn to your God. Again, Adam and Eve turned away from God to the knowledge of good and evil. You must turn away from the knowledge of good and evil in order to turn to your God. And if you do not, then you will never know him. Ever. You may have a place in the kingdom of heaven, and I'm sure he'll do a work with you when you get there. Because salvation is defined as the restoration of the Holy Spirit, and if you have received the Holy Spirit, if you have been resurrected, 
you have a place. But please understand what I mean by that. I mean that now, today, between now and the time when you die, you will not know, you cannot know, under no circumstances will you ever know who he is as a person. He will not allow you to live in a way that he did not intend. He will not allow that and at the same time try to mature and grow you in his spirit. You must let go of it. You have to let go of it. Now, of course, I do believe he can do something. I believe he can do a work. But in comparison to what he will be able to do if you will turn away from the knowledge of good and evil, in comparison, it is as if he can do nothing. So please, trust your God. Trust in his forgiveness. That's what you have to trust in. Trust in what he accomplished on the cross. Believe the truth concerning the resurrection. And live according to the inheritance that you have received. Live with the blessings that you have received. Live your daily life knowing that your God loves you. That he accepts you. Make your decisions in your daily life. Live your life with full acknowledgement of that truth. That he does accept you. He loves you. He will never turn his back on you. He will never let you go. The decisions that you will make will be different from what they would be if you thought that he was ashamed of you. If you believe that he rejects you, your decisions will be different. But if you trust and you rest in the truth of the living God concerning what he has accomplished and concerning who you are, then you will have an opportunity to live in a completely different way, a way of peace, a way of rest, a way of confidence, a way of intimacy to the extent where you can speak to him as your daddy, as your Abba. I pray that you will grow to understand the truth of this. Now, continuing into Galatians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's, But now, after you have known God, yes, after you have known your God, your God, who is your Abba, your Daddy, your Father, after you have grown to know Him, then you will then be able to further understand what He says after this. Again, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? And this I will explain in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937 or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. There can be 